This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Hello and welcome to the Shakti Hour, a podcast on Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network, where I speak with women about their personal experience on the spiritual path. My name is Melanie, and today I'm sharing a conversation I had with Dina Miriam, who just released a book entitled My Journey Through Time, A Spiritual Memoir of Life, Death, and Rebirth. What a fascinating book and a beautiful woman who also is the founder of the Global Peace Initiative of Women and an avid meditator and who is now working with uh, ecology and, and spirituality and working around the globe to bring together those people that are interested in helping to heal the earth and to do so through raising consciousness uh, in an interfaith way. I loved uh, talking with Dina and getting a chance to meet her. Uh, Our mutual friend David Silver connected us, and um, I have to say this book is enthralling, a deep and page-turning read through her um, experiences of remembering past lives and relating that to her present time and spiritual principles that we can, you know, sometimes just intellectualize, whereas here she's having the experience of seeing, you know, kind of the long game of our soul's journey and how um, the evolution of our personal growth is over a much longer uh, sense of time than we are often used to thinking of. So I hope you enjoy um, listening to this talk with Dina and that you um, check out her book. Links to all of that will be on the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com. And we are still in the middle of the Shakti Summer Reading Series. Um, this book is one of the bonus books on the series if you want to um, drop into this over your uh, 4th of July weekend and um, and then we'll jump back on with the regular series uh, with Tammy Lynn Kent's book Wild Feminine. We just finished up uh, with the reading of Lama Siltram Alioni's book Wisdom Rising and honestly there's no right or wrong way to join us in this reading series this summer. This is my first uh, attempt to offer something like that. And uh, my friends at the Luminary Agency uh, inspired me to do so. And I think it's just, you know, great to come along on this journey of reading these texts of these um, women, these women elders who have, you know, paved the way, who have gone down the path and have written books to consolidate and share their wisdom with us. And so the reading series is is just an opportunity to offer yourself a little bit more in-depth um, study and potential practice with some of the authors and teachers that are featured here on the podcast. 
I love hearing from you, so please do um, like. I have a new Shakti Hour page, Shakti Hour podcast page on Facebook. If you like that, you can uh, message me there. You can also find me on Instagram, Meditate with Melanie, and uh, follow along there. And my website, meditatewithmelanie.com. I also started a Patreon page for the Shakti Hour. Um, love to have your support on that. I'm putting together some. Um, new, more um, produced series for the podcast uh, in the upcoming months. And so any any um, support directly to the Shakti Hour is very welcome. And I am also recording some more meditations and, and things that will be um, released there on that page for you to interact with and enjoy. And you can also, you know, be sure to subscri- subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes and leave a positive review if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Tell your friends about it and and make a donation at the BeHereNowNetwork.com to support all of the offerings of this network of amazing uh, teachers, seekers, thinkers, and healers um, that are gathered under Ramdas in, in this moment. Thanks very much for listening and now enjoy. Dina Miriam. I'm here today with Dina Miriam, author of My Journey Through Time, a spiritual memoir of life, death, and rebirth, and also the co-founder of the Global Peace Initiative of Women. And I'm so delighted to be here with her. I'm in her beautiful apartment in New York City, and and we've just been talking a bit, uh, getting a bit closer to knowing one another. And welcome, Dina. And uh, this book that she has written is really fantastic. I was thoroughly drawn into it. And I'm going to just let you, Dina, give the listeners a little taste into how this book came into being and, and, and what's inside of it. Well, I, I have had... Um glimpses since childhood really of um, of my past birth it would come in dreams um, and just a strong strong um, like for example I was obsessed with ballet when I was younger which comes from my aspirations to be a dancer in my previous birth and then as I got older into my 20s and 30s I began to have dreams of this house um, and it haunted me. I would dream of it again and again. I'd wake up and say, oh, I was there again. And it would leave me with a feeling of sadness and longing. And then when I um, approached 40, uh, I was involved in a work project. I met a man. He started speaking to me in, in Russian. And over time, over the period of weeks, my memories came back very clearly. I would see scenes. I would hear conversations of my previous birth, just the one before this. And it wove very beautifully into this life because I found my guru Yogananda when I was 20. I had met him in my past birth uh, when he, on his way back to India, but we only had a very brief encounter. And I so wanted to come to America to follow his teachings, but I didn't have the opportunity. So so I, I experienced, relived that life for about two years, going through the experiences again and again. And before I knew it, I was in the previous birth, the one before that, experiencing that. And, and this, this was a process that went on for many years, where I'd meet a person or I'd, I'd be in a place, and suddenly I'd be withdrawn and have to go deep into meditation, um, and during my meditations, I would just see scenes. I would see scenes, and I'd hear conversations, and pieces would come together until a, a full narrative was there. So I decided at a certain point um, to write it all down and to see how it fit together. And in writing it, I saw themes that wove from one life to the next, and I began to see the workings of karma, how, this, how, how um, seeds that are planted in one life come to fruition could be several lives later. So to me, it gave me a, a much deeper appreciation of karma. Um, and I also got to experience um, past teachers where I felt I, I, I saw them again. And that was 
that was perhaps the most inspiring thing for me is to know that in each life there'd been somebody, somebody to awaken me. Yeah, it's definitely um, in reading it, in reading the book, and it it definitely came through for me that the spiritual through line through all these different uh, teachers in in the different past lives. But before you, before this started happening for you, um, with the Russian speaking coworker, um, what was your take on past lives or, or reincarnation or how did you perceive that or how had you read anything about that or had any other in introduction to that prior to these experiences I I to me it was a natural it was it was a belief you know I accepted that it was it was true and um, you know I, I um, started practicing meditation when I was since I was 20 and took it very seriously my, my path was really a meditative one so I, I studied the Gita, I studied the Upanishads and the Vedas, and so I, I was deeply immersed in, in um, Hindu philosophy. But until I had these memories, it was just a belief. But after the memories, I don't even think of it as a past life. I think of it as one life. And I'll find myself saying, yeah, I met that person in 1936. And people will look at me and say, how old are you? <laughs> and I'll say, oh, yeah, you know, Dini can't talk that way. And this is what, mm. it, to me, it's now one life with different chapters. <laughs> mm. um, but, but so it, it moved from being a belief to an experience. Right, something you'd been taught as true. Yeah. That then you started experiencing as reality. Yeah. yeah. And, and did you have any resistance when this, these experiences first started coming back to you? Did you have any, like, doubt or...? The, the first time, yeah. um, I, I, um, I questioned myself I, because th- I was living so much in another time period. You know, my, my kids who were young would be talking to me and I would be back in Germany in 1936 and I couldn't pull myself out. And so I would say to myself, Dina, are you, are you going off? <laughs> and then I'd say, no, look, I'm a single mother. I'm raising my kids. I'm holding a job. I'm really doing okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not loony. <laughs> um, and I couldn't talk to anybody about this, really, because, you know, what can you say? Mm. You know, I'm, say, I'm, I'm witnessing the Nazis march into Prague. What can you say? <laughs> <laughs> right. What can you say about it? Totally. Well, I just it's that that part really struck me in the in the story is that it was such a personal experience and um you know I I don't I mean in a time like the 60s let's say when people were doing lots of psychedelics and experimenting with different planes of consciousness and all that do that may have been a more uh, supportive time period to be able to express that. And, and these started coming to you, was it in the 80s? It was in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Ronnie and Nancy were probably, Reagan were probably not the most um, supportive, creating the most supportive environment for sharing um that kind of experience but do you think it came out of that time like do you think that your your openness to that is is a fruit of of your meditative practice and your I think it was more I was never a big experimenter with drugs Mm -hmm. Um, you know I had one or two early experiences and that which were deeply spiritual experiences and then I came into meditation so for me meditation has been the um, the foundation of my life, hmm. you know, I, I mean, I see it, you know, if I miss, you know, I do, do miss time because I travel, but meditation, I would say, is the foundation of my life. And there were times uh, when I was um, doing my sadhana, because Yogananda stressed this, of intensive meditation, you know, long hours of meditation. It wasn't just a check-in every day, every morning, it was long hours of meditation. And I attribute it to that. I mean, everybody has different experiences. People have said to me, I mean, if I start meditating, am I going to have this recall? You may get something else. People have out-of-the-body experiences. People see all kinds of things. 
um, you know, people, some people see auras, you know, some people see angels. Everybody has a different experience, spiritual experience. This happened to be the, 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 the result of my meditation, the one that came to me, the way it came to me, the fruits that came to me. Well, in creating that space, you know, with, with hours of con- contemplative practice of a, of a dedicated sadhana, that's creating the foundation for that kind of experience to unfold. I know there was a period in, in my most intensive practice where I really did have a difficult time <laughs> discerning between the different realms of, of, of reality, you know, completely unaided by any kind of psychedelic or anything, but just from being so deeply in that practice, which is, you know, not of, of the mind and of the conditioned world. One of the, the, the um, I guess, the teachings that came to me from this was to see time as a, as a, um, as a, as a fabrication of the mind, really. Mm. To see space as a fabrication. You know, I mean, we can be in another dimension. In the one of the end, the last chapter toward the end, I talk about the the, the place between l- lives. You can look you can look at it one of two ways. You can say that's the, that's the in between human lives, or you can look at this as in between lives in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I find myself going to that place or present in that place, even now. I can be there at any time. And so what is this spatial divide? You know, it's not a reality. <laughs> and it's the same thing with time. You know, um, um, you, can, you can find yourself in the past. We're creating the blueprint for the future now. People don't realize it, but we are creating the blueprints for a future mm. in this life. Mm. Right. Right. You know, Ramdas has said something about uh, he said a phrase called saying karma running off, old karma running off. So once you awaken, this is how I've interpreted it. I'm not exactly sure if that's what he meant. <laughs> you awaken and then there's all this old karma that needs to run off. So you awaken and to the possibility of creating a new blueprint or not creating more karma. And, but then there's still this momentum behind the previous lifetimes. And so when I was reading your book, I was really getting drawn into it and, and, and kind of feeling that, like feeling as if back to your practice, that you had done this practice. So your meditation practice so solidly that kind of like this karma was running off. That's the phrase that kept coming to me. Like, and you were actually having a chance to witness it running off from the present time. Is that too far out? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, yeah. I think that that um, you know we're in this in our you know everybody in their current life is 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 reaping the the results of causes that began earlier. Mm. I feel that I've neutralized a lot of um, a lot of karma from the past, um, but beyond that, then there are aspirations of how to be of service. So when we talk about a blueprint, it's not necessarily, yes, there are karmic things that maybe are unfinished. Um, there are interactions between people that maybe need to take place, but they can, they can happen very quickly. I found that in, in, in a certain time in my life, I was having very short relationships. People, men would come into my life and then it'd be done. And it would just be done. I would just know whatever was there was done. Hmm. And so I think that there were a whole series of karmic ties that just needed a little bit of interaction to be to be hmm. to be um, kind of done with. But but when I think about the blueprint for the future, I think of how we want to serve. There are many possibilities, right? Hmm. A certain point is less about working through your karma and more about how you can be of service. Hmm. You know, through this way or through that way. I mean, there there are a number of ways that one can be of service, and that will that will be the result of aspirations. So you can see one of the themes for my book has been um, the women's. You know, it's it's um, gaining confidence as a woman mm-hmm. spiritual practitioner, um, c- 
coming to know women, uh, women of realization, spiritual teachers, and um, gaining the confidence to come to to come forward as a woman spiritually. Mm. Um, and so that that that's an aspiration that's that's still there, that's not completely fulfilled. Mm. So I know that that will need to manifest in some way. But there is a consciousness around it now. Yes, there's a consciousness, where the, yeah. where the previous was really all the different lives, it's really a seeker or a trepidation, you know, depending on, on where you were yes. in, your, in your personal history. I wonder about your relationship now to just like present time in relationship to this, because it's like, you know, I'm reading through these, these past, live, um, past lives uh, details in your story that you're sharing and I'm thinking, gosh, I wonder, like, do you have regret about not forcing yourself to go to the village with your husband or <laughs> do you have like, you know, like I can get hung up on something from last week, let alone like, you know, three lifetimes ago, understanding what happened. I mean, there's no way to, did that ever cross your mind? Like, or you're in your experience of wanting to um, transmute something that had happened in the past? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's come out, it's come out, um, um, it's come out at times. Uh, for example, there's one life in there um, f from India during the Mughal invasions. And when I talk about the destruction of uh, the culture, of Hindu culture, and um, I was giving, because we've done a lot of, Dialogues at that time we were doing with Pakistan and, and Pakistanis and Indians, yogi Sufi dialogues, and I was speaking at some a conference and talking about the dialogue, and and it just came out of my mouth that I said we still haven't recovered from the invasions, and my colleague who was with me said Dina, <laughs> you you spoke in the first person we still haven't, you know and but but. There are some unresolved issues regarding that. I have very clear memories of the destruction that took place there. Mm. And, um, and you know, India is still struggling with, with Hindu-Muslim tension. Um, and a lot of it is unresolved issues from that time. Many, many temples w were destroyed. There were many forced conversions. Um, there was a, there was a, um, it was an occupation um, and, and an attempt to to really um, uh, disrupt the culture. And a lot of damage was done, and, and, and that's, that's an unresolved issue within me. Hmm. So, so I work on it, and I know that I'm in this interfaith work that I do is, is very helpful for me because you can't carry that over to the present. So, so I've had to think a lot about that. Okay, you can't carry that over to the present because we're in a, a, total, a different time period, and yet these memories are there. So how do you turn them into a positive thing, hmm. these memories. And so then how do you take that, that lens then just to the day-to-day -day in this lifetime? Like, I should have booked that meeting for Wednesday instead of Tuesday, <laughs> or um, processing things that have happened just in your own day-to-day -day life. Like, how does that lens of this long arch of the one life, like you said, put in perspective your day-to-day? -day. Well, it's, it's helped me be more attentive to what's unfinished in certain relationships. Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's, I mean, there's always somebody that there's something unfinished with. Usually there are a few people, hmm. you know, where there's just something unresolved. Hmm. And you can either deal with it now or you can deal with it in the future. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so... Hmm. So, um, it, it, you know, it's things like that where it's helped me be more attentive to um, karmically things, kar karmic things that have been set in motion in this life or maybe carried over from the past mm. that haven't yet come to conclusion. Mm. And you see that mostly in terms of relationship? Is that where it manifests? Like, or because your work and... We're speaking vaguely. I'm speaking vaguely here because the book is just, you just have to read the book. And I really want everybody to, to, to take some time with this book because it's really fun to read and also just rich with, with wisdom and, and uh, spiritual anecdote. But 
I can give you an example. Okay, because but but just to say that your work with the with uh, the global uh, the interfaith work and with the Women's Peace Initiative is that that is like um, for you personally, based on the stories of your past lives, seems to be like a really nice um, culmination of all this stuff. So there's two parts to my question, really, which is the relationships. You see it in unfinished business and relationships. But then what about like your relationship with yourself or your relationship with spirit in, in that? You know, when I, when I, um, I couldn't put everything in the book, but when I started, um, started the interfaith work, it was to do this big summit at the UN. And, mm-hmm. and I kind of backed into that. I never had any intention of working in the interfaith world. I was a, you know, I had no interest in religion. I was a, a yogi. Um, and um, I was working with a male colleague. And our arrangement was he would be the front man, I'd be behind the scenes. I do all the writing, I do all the content development. But he would meet with these religious leaders and he would, you know, he'd be the front person. He was the, the big guy. Hmm. And I was very happy because I was very shy. And at one point, um, uh, I was told that I had to open it. I had to go into the UN General Assembly and open. Wow. And I, I was. <laughs> That's no small like, I was stage. painfully yeah. shy at this yeah. time. I was a writer. You know, just give me my computer and I'll be happy. And I tried to avoid it, but um, it was my father who pushed me, actually. He was a friend of Kofi Annan's, and he had helped orchestrate this whole summit of religious leaders. And my father turned to me and said, you're going to do the welcome. I said, no, 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 no. I'll write the speech, but he's going to do the welcome. And so I had to go out and do it. And I, I wrote that page again and again. And I didn't know, I didn't have these memories at that time. Mm, but right, now yeah. when I look back... And I see what a struggle it was to come into my own in previous births as a spiritual practitioner, as a woman. And then I realized how to get stand up against these archbishops and the, you know, the Vatican and you know all these chief rabbis. They were all men. Very few. We had very few women there. And I had to do the opening. And um, from that point on, I, I could speak to anybody. I never. It never mattered to me. It, it, mm. it got me over that. Mm. But then. Um, something happened with my colleague where he overstepped and the UN got very upset with him. And um, I was told by the women who were working with me, Dina, you have to separate from him. That's when we formed the Global Peace Initiative of Women. And I said, but I can't, I, he's, he, he's it. I, who am I? I can't do this. And they said, Dina, we're leaving you unless you separate from him. But if you separate from him, it was like my second divorce, we're with you. And these were <laughs> prominent women religious leaders. And so it was a traumatic thing for me mm. to separate from this Millennium World Peace Summit mm. of Religious Leaders and form the Global Peace Initiative of Women. Mm. Um, and, and, I, and I had no confidence that I could do it. Mm. I mean, it's 18 years ago, we're, we're still <laughs> in business, but I had no confidence that I could do it. Mm. Um, and, and at that point, we were just a handful of women, but these were strong women who had withstood so much to, to make their way through the religious world. And so few women had done that. They were my mothers. They were my mentors. Mm-hmm. Two women in, in particular, um, a Catholic Benedictine nun and a Protestant minister, Joan Campbell and Sister Joan Shittister. And um, they helped me come into my own and have confidence. And so that was the culmination of many many lifetimes of struggling with this issue got it so that was the personal kind of wrap up <laughs> the personal summary yeah click it and all came then, together then then this started happening with this deeper exploration of past karma past lives and now that's brought you to this understanding of the present moment feeling out unfinished relationships, the energy of that. What can you describe what that feels like or how you've come to understand what that is? Unfinished relationships? Well, you, I, that's not exactly what you said, unfinished relationships, but you, you said something about how relationships is where you were f- seeing the... Well, I think that, that we, we all... Um, I mean, I had, I, had a, I had a friend some years ago who had a very bad relationship with her mother and they used to argue all the time and then her mother died. And she told me in her dreams she continued her arguments with her mother. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and I thought to myself, well, it's a shame that, that she had to go that route, you know. Mm. Um, I had a difficult relationship with my mother because she was a very secular woman, mm. never understood. I had, I, had, I had to practically meditate in the closet. I mean, I, I could not share with my family my spiritual life. And, um, and I, now I understand. I was comparing her to the mother I had in my previous life, who mm. I lost very early, mm. who, was a, who was a spiritual woman mm. and who brought me into the spiritual life. And it took me many, many years to accept my mother for who she is, and it only happened recently, and to be able to totally love her without any expectation mm. for her to be any different. Mm. And to know that it doesn't matter mm. that what she thinks, I mean, she doesn't know I wrote this book. Mm. It doesn't matter what she thinks of my spiritual life. Mm. You know, the point is I love her because she's my mother, and that's it. That's a relationship, my mother's very, it, it wasn't until she was very old, and she's still alive, that that completion happened. She could have passed away without me coming to that completion, and I would have had to finish that in the future. And it was a gift. That was a gift that I, that I received that I'm very grateful for. And I think everybody has something like that that they can, that they can share, whether it's some, uh, some relationship that hasn't yet reached its completion. You know, I, 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 uh, absolutely, and thank you for sharing that example. But I do feel like, you know, different life times maybe are for more of that processing than others um i know i had a i had a a vedic astrology reading a couple years ago and the woman i don't i don't know anything about it and i don't know what prompted me to do it but she said oh it's funny that you should have called me this week you just came out of an 18 year rahu period which is a giant period of processing karma and now you're moving into this other segment of your life. And I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense because <laughs> there was nothing that it just, you know, I had, you know, all these relationships. And, and then it was funny, this last year I was in, in Paris and this, this woman, I came, walked into a cafe and this woman said, Melanie? And I said, I turned around, no idea who she was, you know, no, had no context you look exactly the same. It's so wonderful to see you. Yada, da, 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 da. We had gone to college together. <laughs> and, and I realized in that reflection that what my life had, what had happened for me in those 18 years <laughs> since we had last seen each other was that so much had changed and that that wasn't her, her life. Her life had been very, very stable and very much just focused on this handful of, of people, neither one being better or worse. But from a spiritual point of view, um, it gave me some context in this lifetime of relationships and my own, um, the way that I relate to relationships with people and, and how they come together. And I was recently on a, a Skype with Ramdas, and he he said to me, he said to me, you know, now I'm a now I'm a part of your karma. Like now we're a part of each other's karma. Because I was complaining about some childhood stuff that I felt like I couldn't get over, and then it was like, well, here's this other part of your karma. We're here to support you in this transformation to the next stage, right? Yeah. And so looking at it like that, um, you know, looking at it that way, I have to say that even knowing this and even with every, the chapters in between uh, talking about your present life and how you're so smartly drawing it together with your own spiritual knowledge and your own experience from this lifetime, I was so sucked into these stories of your <laughs> your past lives that I would come out of it with you. I felt like I was like going through the jungle with you, going, you know, running around uh, Eastern Europe with you. And, um, and so it's something that really struck me about the personal story and how much weight or gravitas that has, that I could be so pulled in even to, to someone else's story. You know? yeah. <laughs> Are you catching what, you know, I, what I, I'm no, leading I into am, here? And yeah. I think that, I think what I say is that 
my story is everybody's story mm. because we've all had these experiences. Mm. You know, we've all been to so many places, mm. experienced so many things mm. that if you could look back, you'd go and say, wow, you know, mm. you know, I mean, when I was describing my life in Africa, I really felt Africa. I mean, I was there. And I'll tell you something. We were doing a, a dialogue um, uh, um, on racial healing. You know, the pastor that had been killed, shot in the church there, he had been part of our circle. And so we were called back to do a dialogue on racial healing just last June. It was our second dialogue down there. And then one of the young men um, from, Afri from Black Lives Matters said, we're doing a ceremony by the ocean tomorrow Saturday um, for, this, for the Africans who didn't make it across the sea, the journey. Mm. And if you'd like, you can join us. And I s went and I threw flowers into the sea and I remembered my sister from Africa mm. who got thrown overboard because I mm. thought she was dead in that life. And it was a completion for me. I had never mourned her. I had died first. She, she, I got killed in the in the raid, and she got taken onto the slave ships, and then she got thrown overboard. And I never had a chance to do anything. Mm. But here, I was able to throw flowers into the sea and to remember her. It was very meaningful to me, and it was a closure. Mm. And there was a young white man who who was with us, and he felt very uncomfortable. And he said to me later, he said, "You know, we shouldn't have been there. That wasn't right for us to go." Mm. Um, he said, I felt like I was intruding, you know, that wasn't our experience. And I turned to him and I said, that was my experience. That was important for me to be there. Mm. <laughs> so how do you explain that to somebody? Mm. You know, how do you explain that to somebody? And yet, if we could see all of our past, we'd know that, that we are, we are part of it all. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no story that hasn't touched us. Yeah, you say, um, Gosh, you say it. You say you say what you're saying <laughs> right now really well in the book. I remember highlighting that out. That uh, the way to um, to understand that there is a greater purpose to all that unfolds, and that all that is that it is all the play of karma. A universal truth states that loss and gain and conquest and defeat should be regarded with an equal eye. The wheels of time vacillate between success and failure, and each must have its turn. On and on, you say, what are we humans to learn from this? You know, can we choose a totally different path now and leave behind this patterns? And you're saying that to be able to see that wholeness that and we talk about being connected in, in this this lifetime and honoring and tolerating differences, but to actually have the experience of having been in the other seat. That's the key. I mean, people, yeah. if people could actually see that they were in the other seat, and, and, it, and the way karma works, if you're a bigot, most likely you've been on the other side. So if you could see that, you know, and it's the same thing, I mean, when when um, one of our first first projects was doing working with Israelis and, and Palestinians, and from the book you see how I was instrumental in helping some of the the German Jews get out, and I thought these might be some of their descendants. <laughs> and then I when I when I, I've done projects in Africa and I've looked around and I've said, are any of these my descendants? I I, I in that life in Africa I had children that that were mm. not taken on slave ships. They had children who had children. They may be some of my descendants. So if you see, that's what I mean about it being one life. Not I don't look at right. my past life. I identify with all those different lives. And so you have descendants everywhere. So, so, so who are you going to fight? Right. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't know. That's, that's the, the thing of it is that people don't know that they're fighting their own children in some cases. Well, and this comes down to this kind of bit of a conundrum in the understanding of, of reincarnation and soul families and all of this stuff with the one and the individual. So 
this is your stories are very individual relationship based with these very specific people in your life and then like that very specific opportunity to be on that ship and do the flowers for that very specific person from your past life so is there something to take from that in in our spiritual practice because i think we jump to the one it's all one we can make the jump to it's all one somehow (laughs) but this is on the on the ground specific relationships i'm not exactly sure if i'm yeah i think you have to hold both Ah. i think yeah you do talk about that yeah i think you 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 have to be in the one Hmm. and be in this in the individual specific Hmm. life just like i I had to learn how to be in the past and the present at the same time, Hmm. you know, um, because I still feel the pain of what happened in the past. That pain hasn't, hasn't left me. So, which is why this is a bit of a dangerous journey to go on because once you remember, you remember the pain, you know, just like once you remember an, a an abuse, a sexual abuse Hmm. in childhood, when it's not remembered, you're not suffering. But once you remember it, mm. you have the pain, and then you have to work it through. So, so that's the process. Once you remember, you have to release the pain. And then the other side of it is I remember being with these great teachers. Mm. You know, I remember worshiping Krishna. I remember worshiping Durga. I remember being with the, with the shaman in the jungle. Mm. And so those relationships are eternal. So I can call upon them because mm. it's like what Ramda said to you. Now we have karma. I have karma with those people because we shared a precious moment in time together. Mm. So that that moment still vibrates. Mm. And what you're saying about remembering is when we were talking before we started about this, the emergent feminine. Now, when you remember, you also re- you remember the wisdom, but also the pain. And then you have to deal with that. And that's part of what we were kind of, you and I were just talking about before we got going in here, is this moment of this emergent paradigm shift that coming out of denial of knowing my own wisdom, of knowing the wisdom, brings the pain. <laughs> I also have to deal with the pain of having the, had that suppressed or having had that robbed. Right. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, in, ev- in every life, there's joy and there's sorrow. Mm. And when you remember it, you, so you remember it all. Um, the, the, the other interesting thing was, when you think about it, there are these highlights. I mean, you can, you can describe a life in 40 pages. That's ju- just <laughs> basically what I did. So I was, I've often thought, so what is it about this life that I'm going to take with me? What are the highlights? What am I going to remember? Hmm. What are what are the forty pages that I'm going to write about? Hmm. What is that going to say? And that's an interesting meditation, actually, hmm. because you see what jumps out. There are a lot of things that just get washed away, hmm. and then there are things that that jump out that stay with you. And, and what would those be? What what would you say? Maybe the, I mean, I know from reading the book what you've highlighted in here, but what would those like top five things you would say? Well, it would be? certainly be my relationship with my guru. Mm-hmm. I mean that finding him at the age of 20 and then the the different things that have happened along the way it's it's um coming much more because in this life I'm able to practice meditation more deeply Mm. than I have in the past there was the aspiration there but not the opportunity Mm. to really receive the teachings and that's the great gift that I'm so grateful for um and that's that's you know through through the Efforts of masters has been made available to so many of us in the West and lay people. We didn't have to enter, you know, ashrams to get it. And so that certainly will stay with me. And then the work, um, the work with the women, the work, the peace work, the work around ecology that I'm now doing. Mm. Um, I think. Share a little bit about that, about that work with us, if you could, the, the, the peace work and how 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 you started to move into working around climate change and ecology and you move from the interfaith to the women's peace and now it's coming into 
So it started out by bringing women together in conflict areas and having uh, women spiritual teachers hold the space and kind of guide the conversation. And that was a very difficult, you know, in Palestine, Israel, Iraq, Sudan, Afghanistan. That was challenging. Um, But then there came a point, and I think it was 2009, when uh, we brought a group of spiritual teachers to the UN Climate Conference. And suddenly the connection was made that the oppression that the suppression of the feminine energy and the and the destruction of the earth was the same mm-hmm. that it was the same mindset that was that was en- enabling this to happen so so and then women that we were working with women spiritual teachers began to talk about the cry of the earth that they were experiencing mm-hmm. one woman sufi from germany we were at a, in some gathering and she talked about a dream, the Sufis dream a lot, um, and, and uh, where the earth spoke to her, and the earth was cr- weeping, mm. and said, um, "I can no longer sustain you. Um, I can, I can mm. no longer, I can no longer nourish mm. you." Mm. And um, this was a very moving um, account that she gave. And then, as we began, this was two, two th- maybe after the two thousand and nine, maybe two thousand. 10 or 11, I began to hear this more and more, Mm -hmm. that women, specifically women, were hearing the earth cry. Mm. That's a very different response from saying, oh, climate change is happening, you know, we need to control the carbon Mm. because the seas are going to rise. And that's a very different response from saying, if you cut down trees, then it's not gonna, we're not going to be able to absorb the carbon, which which is a very kind of logical, practical way of looking at it. It's no. The earth is crying out in pain, and we're hearing it, and we have to respond. Mm. There was this, you know, very strong, intuitive mm. um, sense of we have to, it has to come from a place of love, mm. not rationality, love. Mm. So I began to see that that was our work. And so we've, we've now, for the last few years, have been trying to bring together young ecologists to talk about this shift. It's not from a place of rationality, of counting the amount of carbon or the, the level of sea rise. We have to fall in love with the earth again. And that is that is what is called for now. Hmm. And women, I think, hmm. have been gifted with this um, possibility of leading this hmm. because of what we've been hearing. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, some time ago, a handful of men that were experimenting with ayahuasca were seeking me out um, that were not practicing another spiritual path, were seeking me out to share their experiences that they were getting this message from the plant medicine that you're sharing that women spiritual leaders were having and they were um seeking me out almost in like secret to be like hey i think you know i think i'm getting this mess like really strong message from mother earth that i need to support the feminine and and the earth like you know i'm getting this message through the plant medicine i think that is happening and i and i think many of the indigenous um communities um, have not lost that connection, so they also are very tuned to what's happening. Mm. And it's, um, you know, to do with some of the the traditional ideas or the long-held ideas of masculine and and feminine, that that intuitive wisdom, that nurturing, loving wisdom has been held, you know, just held in the cells of the of the female and that the you know the more active logical approach has been the the access point for for men to coming for the male for the masculine to come into that experience of that wisdom and so i'm wondering you know we talked about this a little bit before and you do speak to to this in your book as speaking about the the mother mother energy and the divine feminine mother energy is there something that we need to do 
or know or take away (laughs) from that teaching in order to forge ahead in this path of, of love? Well, I think, I think, um, you know, I think tuning in to the, the divine mother aspect is very important now. And I think many people are doing it, certainly many more than previously. Um, and, and I think that, that um, men have been doing it as well. I know many men who, are, who have been working on that, you know, um, that connection. But I think there's a special role for women now uh, in, in um, bringing it more out into the public space. Hmm. Because, because it, it, um, there, there's, been, there's been a shift, as I, as I mentioned to you in our, in our earlier conversation, when we first talking about, were talking about the Divine Feminine 18 years ago, people would stare at me blankly. Hmm. Um, when when we, we held a, a conference in India in 2008 on this, uh, my, my mentor, my Benedictine Catholic uh, nun said to me, I don't know how to deal with this theologically. Hmm. And I said, deal with it any way you want. <laughs> hmm. This is the theme of the, the conference. And after that, it had a profound effect on her. She began all of her teaching on the, on the Divine Feminine, Sacred Feminine, finding it within her tradition. Um, and so it's not as apparent in, in the Abrahamic traditions, but it can be found. Um, so, so the next leap is, though, is, is, is how to connect with the spirit of the earth, the consciousness of the earth. Hmm. The earth is, is, a, is a consciousness. Hmm. It's not just, you know, molecules. The earth is a consciousness, as the rivers are a consciousness, Correct. as the mountains hmm. are a consciousness. And how to, how to be in a sacred relationship with those, we call them devas and devis, to be in a sacred relationship. That's what, that's the only thing in my mind that's going to get us out of this mess. And you, you started to say how, that, it's, it, that women have a special place in bringing that into the world. What does that look like? Well, <sighs> right now. Right now, yeah, no, I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> you know, I think that, that I know that I feel much freer in talking about the Davy of the rivers than people in the West do. Hmm. You know, I mean, the, the, certainly in India, it's, it's, it's common parlance to talk about Ganga Devi, the Devi, the goddess, and people, it's not just... It's not just a, a metaphor. People understand that the river is alive. In the West, because we ha- we because of the the um, the absence of that that the the sacred feminine, really, it's much harder even today to talk about it. We talk about the Devi of the Hudson River. We're sitting by the Hudson River, or the Deva. I don't know if it's a female or not, because yeah. I don't. I'm not in a close enough relationship. Even though I'm, I, I live by the river, <laughs> I have a very close relationship with Ganga, yeah, and and some of the other um, river river Devis in India. Um, but I know the indigenous people who have who from this area. For them, the Hudson is like the Ganga is to me. So what, what, what the sacred feminine energy can do right now is to bring out the awareness hmm. of being in relationship with the deva or devi of the river and of the soil, hmm. of the earth. That's essential now. So why is it the role of the feminine to do that? I'm not sure I can explain that. Hmm. It just intuitive, intuitively feels like it is. Hmm. Because, because um, you know, the earth is a mother. You know, even, even, even the UN actually talks about not Earth Day, but Mother Earth Day. That's a new thing. Mm. I just noticed that. Mm. They're celebrating Mother Earth Day. Mm. We still talk about it as Earth Day. But there's a distinction when you talk about it as Earth Day or Mother Earth Day. So, you know, I think that... Um, the awakening of that consciousness is, is a very important role 
for the sacred feminine now. Right. The mother will guide you. The path to freedom is fraught with many hurdles that must be overcome. There is no easy way to untangle the knots that bind us, knots of our own creation. In each life, we take but a few steps forward, but most people slip back into unconsciousness enduring the endless rounds of rebirth and suffering. Racing after little bits of happiness when there is so much more to be had. You will not slip back as many others do. You will move swiftly now, for the mother has claimed you as her own. This is from, which which life is this from? Is that from the after? This is from... I think it's Between Lives. Yeah, it's Between Lives. Yeah. And... I loved that. I can't remember who's saying it to you now. Where did it's the... my companion up there? <laughs> I call it up there, and it's af- it's uh, interesting how yeah it's it's the it's the it was the time of processing. Uh, you know the the time we call it the afterlife, which is interesting because it's not afterlife; it's life. <laughs> hmm. The 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 um, time between human births is a time of processing. Um, what the lessons of that life were. Hmm. And it's a time of laying the blueprint for the future as as you see it unfold. Hmm. It's not necessarily a conscious laying, but all of the conditions come forward to lay out a blueprint uh, so that you can take the next steps forward and you can learn what you need to learn, you can Hmm. bring to completion what you need to do. And there are relationships and guides in that place, just as we have relationships and guides here. Mm. And um, what I realized in seeing that, that this, this being who, I, who came to me during, during a very difficult time when I was organizing that um, gathering conference on the Divine Feminine, it was very difficult to organize in India. Um, uh, he, that's when he first appeared to me, this mm. being. And uh, I saw, when I remembered the, the life between births, that he doesn't incarnate, he is in that world, and that's a world that I go to between between births. And he he showed me that that my from here on my work is for the Divine Mother. Hmm. That's um, last May at the Maui retreat. Uh, Duncan Trussell was bringing up the. Asking Ramdas how to completely get over his fear of death, and so Ramdas uh, detailed uh, what it, what happens when you die, and he talked about soul pods. That's how he described it, and that he clusters basically yeah. describe what you just said. You go back to your soul pod, and you you kind of go over what just happened, and and then you decide what you're going to go back and how you're going to how you're going to return to that. But I love the insight that that you had in this moment with this transmission of this being that that isn't reincarnating that is existing on that on that plane you know the question that came up for me mm-hmm. as these memories were turning my first my first response was russia why was i born in russia i had to go back to the previous life to understand why i was born in russia mm-hmm. previous life was in the american south and then my question came, the American South? I hate the American South. I, I have had this feeling most of my life. Why would I be born in the American South? <laughs> I had to go back to the previous life hmm. to understand why I was born in the American South. And I see that there was a cluster of three lives from Africa to the American South to, to Russia that are totally connected. Hmm. And I saw that there was a cluster of three lives previous to that that were totally c- connected. That, that flowed naturally one into to the other. And so, um, in, and then there's so much more. There's so much more. I mean, right. that's on the tip of the iceberg. Right, right, right. What's that, uh, <laughs> that saying? Take the handkerchief, the bird flying over the mountaintop with the handkerchief wearing it down. That's how many lifetimes. Yeah. 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 I really, there's something from this same section about um just basically talking about that very thing that it takes so many lives to free yourself from the suffering 
um, and to free from from material bondage. It really, in everything you're sharing, in, in in this, in the unity consciousness and seeing yourself in the other, it it actually gives so much compassion. It gives so much perspective on on everybody doing their best out there. And also it gave me a lot of compassion and hope for all that, you know, just lining up the, the stories of the births and the incarnations that you share in this book with your awareness and consciousness around them now and how you are stepping into this role of service and being in that power. It, it really brings so much more compassion for, for um, anyone who's in a lifetime where they're struggling <laughs> with things or, or even in your own lifetime with struggle because you actually are seeing the fruits of that how, how exactly over time. But over there's, time. there's moments in your, in your yeah. past lives where you're completely at the whim of... Whatever's happening, yeah. Yeah. And there's some tragic moments in there. <laughs> some, some very tragic <laughs> moments, yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's the moment of the rape... Yeah. Um, and and I, I have always felt deeply for women who've been raped. Hmm. That's always been, it's like, oh, struck a chord with me. You know, and I've always had a fear of rape, actually. Hmm. <clears throat> but you were spared that in this lifetime. I was spared that in this lifetime, hmm. yeah. But somehow, subconsciously, the memory was there, you know. And um, now I see that... Well, what was that teaching there for me? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's still things I ponder about. Mm. You know, it's, it's, um, I still, there, I've connected many threads, but there's still threads that I haven't connected. And I've actually, I'm wor- I've just finished a second book, which I'm editing now, which, go back, which goes back further in time. Mm. Um, because what I've tried to understand is, all of these are within the relatively brief. I mean, now you think of, I think of 500 years as nothing. It's a, so five, you know, 500, 600 years, you know. But what was it like in, mm. the, in the higher ages on this planet, mm. in the Treta Yuga? Mm. And so, so I've been meditating on that, mm. and some things have come through, which I think are relevant to where we are now, because I no longer think in terms of decades, mm. in terms of, life on, you know, what's going to happen, what's life going to be in the next decade, what's going to be like when we have artificial intelligence. I think of 500 years, hmm. you know, where we're when most people would agree we're on the upward cycle now. We're like past the worst of the Kali Yuga <laughs> and on an upward cycle. So, so changes happen at every turning of the cycle. Um, and in order to give birth to something new, Old formations that are not working have to break down. You mm-hmm. can't bring old formations into a, into a, a new birth. Mm. Collectively or individually. Collectively or individually. And, that, and yeah. the breaking down is, mm. is a painful process because we don't see what's ahead. But if you could see what's ahead, you'd be able to deal with that better. Right. And, not, and so that's where where the idea of a heaven or a hell <laughs> or an afterlife um, kind of has resonance in that, except that uh, in that you are working towards another life. Yeah. <laughs> you are living for another life. But to see that as separate from this life is where our, our perspective needs some adjustment. I think a lot of it, I mean, the way it's yeah. been presented by, the, by organized religion is, I, 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 you know, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, but, but I think the, 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 idea, the, idea, the, only, the idea that's valid is that there's no end. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we are consciousness, so there's no beginning and no end. We have long before, we have a long after. <laughs> you know, it's just an ongoing evolution and journey. Mm. Um, and and a beautiful journey if you can see it from above, if you can see it from how all the threads weave together and the unfolding and the growing in awareness, the awakening process, and then all the teachers. I mean, everybody's had this. The teachers that have been there, the guides that have been there along the way, just to push you along. 
then it becomes a beautiful dance. Hmm. So what would you offer as a specific piece of advice to women and girls on the spiritual path on this journey to trust in your own awakening mm. and to to um, to build your self-awareness and to know that you have it all within you and that you can you can make you can um, really make a great contribution beautiful Trust your own awakening. Well, thank you so much, Dina. This has been wonderful. We could talk for lifetimes. Yeah, we could talk for a long time. It's, it's um, an endless but, subject. Uh, everyone, please go to the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com where you will find a link to Dina's book, My Journey Through Time, and also a link to the Global Peace Initiative of Women, so you can find out about her work there and her work with ecology uh, around the globe. And thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. It was wonderful talking to you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.